Today's podcast is brought to you by 13 Star Designs, a unique vinyl and embroidery shop bringing you unique designs, holiday favorites, and most importantly, the world-famous Dick Mark. These things are flying off the shelves right now for some reason. Uh, the reason is they're awesome and ridiculous and hilarious. Be the shining bell of the ball at your next book club meeting <laughs> or just, you know, have a ridiculous bookmark. That's shaped like a penis. That's their specialty, folks. 13 Star Designs. That's 13 Star Designs. Uh, Facebook.com slash 13 spelled out. 13 Star Designs. And while you're in the neighborhood, you may as well grab a an official, the podcast is on fire, branded mark of your choosing, book or dick. Check them out. Facebook.com slash 13 Star Designs today. Hi, everybody. I'm Josh. And I'm Alyssa. And we are back with today's episode of The Podcast Was On Fire. And it was not my fault. Certainly was not. (laughs) A read-along pod where we dig into the good, the great, and the problematic of the Dresden Files series by Jim Butcher. I'm an old Dresden vet. And I'm brand spanking new. Oh, she is in fact. (laughs) And we are chewing through it. And today we are on part three of book four. Mm -hmm. Summer night. This was a good section, though. Yeah, I told you it's starting to pick up, right? I, I, I mean, just in world building. Oh, yeah, it's good. I loved it. Yeah, very, um... Yeah, just the scene with Nave and just really interesting, uh, really just stretching out what is possible in this universe um, with the door. That's, yeah, all sorts of just really cool oh stuff. Oh my gosh, oh. so much cool stuff. And, you know, in, in this book, they keep talking about, okay, this is this is an Alyssa nerdy moment, just FYI. I, need, I feel like I need a siren for that. Um, <laughs> but uh, so May 1st was Beltane. And Beltane is a Gaelic May Day festival, but what it is, it's the day where the veil between worlds is it's at its thinnest. Ooh, spooky. Yeah, and it's basically halfway between spring and summer equinox, but it's, it's one of the things is that uh, it's moments between, between the, the summer fae and the winter fae. I was listening to something on it, can you tell? But I just thought that was really cool. It was just the timing of it was really neat. Um, but it's a, it, it, it's a very Celtic sort of thing, but I thought it was neat. And they celebrate with bonfires and the Wicker Man bonfires and things like that. But it's it, one of the things. Not the bees! One of the things is that the, the veil is supposed to be exceptionally thin, which I thought was kind of cool. Because oh. we've, we've been talking about that veil in the books. It's just one of those great. Oh, uh, like Saran Wrap Wizard, like Jello. <laughs> well so one of the other things about beltane which is applicable to what we're dealing with now is that the beltane practices the burning of the effigy and all of that was to appease the fairies and to ward them off and like so i i of course looked this up on wikipedia because and but the way they the beltane practices are designed to ward off or appease fairies 
and prevent them from stealing dairy products, which I thought was spectacular. <laughs> like three black coals were placed under a butter churn to infer- ensure they didn't steal the butter. May boughs were tied you don't to milk pails. want anybody to steal your butter. Exactly. The tails of cattle were hung in the barns to ensure the cattle's milk was not stolen. I just think that's great. And they also would pour little, um, like, little bowls of milk for the fairies. And we know Toot Toot likes milk. Mm-hmm. Not as much I just thought it was a, yeah, I, th- I just thought it was cool that uh, the timing was really impeccable because of the, the timing of Beltane and what we're dealing with in the book. I thought it was cute. Absolutely. But yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Good deep dive, Liz. Nerdy, nerdy, nerdy. Oh, I love it. Oh, so how you doing today? Hey. Beyond that? Been a busy, busy bee. Absolutely. Just a couple days out from our good partners at Southwest. <laughs> bringing, bringing me up to San Jose, California. Ooh. We're going to ships passing in the night. We'll do a chest bump or two on my way to the wedding. <clears throat> <laughs> Very excited about that. Yeah. Oh, man, very lazy Tuesday over here. No fun, exciting cycling moments to uh, report. But um, yeah, beyond that, you keeping busy? I am. I've got a bunch of uh, dick mark orders that have uh, happened in the last couple weeks. I've been furiously making penis-shaped bookmarks. It's really a delight. Oh, there's <laughs> nothing better. It's great. If I had a dollar for every, every night, we just, as kids, while wasting away... So in the dick marks uh, <laughs> brings back memories, doesn't it? Oh goodness gracious! Grandma's old pasta sauce and oh, the fire <laughs> and the dick marks. Um, good stuff. You want to catch us up where we're at in universe, and I will hop into chapter eleven thereafter. Alrighty. So right where we're at uh, as of now, we have had quite a bit going on. We've met Mab. We've learned that the red court wants harry and the white council some of them are willing to give him give him over uh there was a vote at the white council and uh we're waiting on a trial so the trial is gonna be harry being the emissary for mab and kind of the white council a little bit as well and so uh harry's ready harry has ventured out and is sallying forth to uh sort out what happened to do some fun stuff with some breaking and entering and then oh yeah uh, and then he's gonna crash funeral sounds like a plan you know <laughs> oh goodness gracious so harry sallying forth Ooh, good segue uh, harry hops in into the trusty beetle and heads on down to do some b and e good old-fashioned b and e and he walks into the lobby of the apartment building wearing a hat with an ftd logo and carrying a long white flower box which I, uh, and he says, you'd be surprised how far a hat, a box, and a confident stride can get you, which is actually very mm-hmm. good life advice. Just, I agree. One of the, uh, great things I've learned, my friend, boss, and formerly coach of water polo was just this exact thing. Just act, fake it till you make it. Mm-hmm. I've been in more ridiculous places that we just, we just walk into with him just because he's so confident. Just like, you know, this is where I'm going to go. We sat like cage side like inside like a row away from the cage at an mma fight it was just like 
we just kind of walked in the back door, strolled down, like down the place where they, they were doing their entrance songs and stuff. We just mm -hmm. walked down that path, you know, and then hopped in. Oh just my like, God. Big chest, head up high and you belong. Oh um, God. I also, go ahead. I, I have a different fake it to make it. I worked with rooms full of actors and I used to be really shy, shockingly enough. And that was always my most terrifying thing, walking into a room full of actors and having to introduce myself as a as their their customer and uh, just pretend I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> oh, goodness. A good time. Oh, yeah. So I contextualized that FTD was some flower delivery service. Yes, it is. Uh, um, it was, I looked it up. It's really interesting, actually. It was initially Flowers Telegraph Delivery, and they changed it to Flowers Trans World Delivery. But uh. the idea was florists in different towns, you could buy flowers from me in Carlsbad, and I would get on the telegram and go beep, 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 and you would deliver from your flower mm -hmm. stock. That's how flower delivery works, Josh. Figure out the payment. That, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, but it, I, I mean, I thought I it was over telegraph, though. But it, just thinking about like it was just the florists got together and like, hey, mm -hmm. I, we could deliver to my customers. You know, I can deliver to your customers here if they pay you. Um, that's really how everything works nowadays. But it's just mm -hmm. an interesting history of it. It's like, you know, back when they were, they were using the telegraph to send it back and forth. I thought that was really cool. I didn't realize it dated that far back. That's cool, though. Yeah. So he looks like a flower delivery man. He walks up to the apartment and he brings up again he knows that somebody's in the apartment and he brings up this skill with a capital l listening that we saw mentioned a couple times in the past but also earlier in this novel mm -hmm. during that conversation with with the gatekeeper so he even I says love, i like how he explains it here though yeah and this is i mentioned it i mentioned part of this description and this might I'm pretty sure he's said something similar to this before, but this was the kind of the description that I was referencing mm -hmm. during our conversation about that, where he always says, he's not even sure it's all that magical, but he and the gatekeeper both capitalize the letter L in listening. Uh -huh. And again, the, the gatekeeper knows things as we've seen, mm -hmm. but he knew that this was a skill that he possessed. Either way, it's not super notable, but it, it's something that comes up a lot and it's almost always just a throwaway like this. He just listens and it gets him, you know, one piece of evidence or something like that. So it helps, you know, break down the mystery all the time. That's what, so it's useful narratively, but it's also the capitalization of that I find very interesting. The skill, it's a, it's a, it's a named skill, a kind of thing. Cause I like the, I like that how it's the, the way he uses those capitalizations. Mm -hmm. Cause they are named skills basically. Yeah. It tells a tale without really harping on it. Mm -hmm. so he hears that somebody else is in there and so he opens up the, the flower box and he gets out his blasting rod and like that he says you know in close quarters he'd prefer to have his gun but <laughs> he'd have a hard time explaining that to security <laughs> it's also brilliant how he hides the blasting rod in the box yeah we've seen that before where morgan will keep his sword in a golf club what do you call that a golf in a, a golf bag yeah in, yeah, his sword, they keep it in a golf bag. And Amarakius, I think Michael kept in like a gym bag or something like that. It's going to be a big ass gym bag for a sword that size. But um, just the way that they hide these things in kind of mundane, it's hiding in plain sight, basically, in some of these cases. But his is cool where he's got the uh, hidden in the flower box. The, um, the show 
Dresden Files that I've never watched, and apparently it's entertaining, but has nothing to do, almost nothing to do with this story. Almost, but not entirely, unlike the Dresden Files novels. He has a hockey stick for his staff and a drumstick is his <laughs> blasting rod is kind of his one of his little things that they adjusted in there. Um, just interesting ways that. to hide there. Well, the hockey stick remote. that was very Casey Jones. Yeah, <laughs> very much so with his April O'Neil girlfriend. Yes. <laughs> so he creeps up to rules apartment and he looks in and he sees this big burling burly thug who is looks like he's just basically scooping up evidence just picking stuff up throwing him away throwing it in his little uh satchel here just grabbing everything he can um probably trying to prevent something like what's exactly going to happen <laughs> harry coming here to find evidence so he doesn't want to get into a fight with this gigantor so he ends up trying to trick him basically he says ftd he got to deliver for mr rule you know he makes him sign the makes him sign the deliver sign off for the delivery and as he's doing so he tries to swoop something from his satchel mm-hmm. he ends up grabbing um the the thug doesn't smell flowers which is i guess relatively telling <laughs> he doesn't smell flowers from that far away or care that he doesn't smell flowers Instead, he smells wizard, which is probably not going to go great for our guy, as this thug is gigantic, larger than him in every direction. Yes, <laughs> very much so. He starts choking him out, and Harry finds a nail, and he digs the nail into his arm. And we have good old-fashioned cold iron, in this case probably in an alloy of some sorts, but he jams that into... What we now learn is part fairy, and we see Grum is a looks very different now. Rather than a standard thug, he is now an ogre in a loincloth, sort of leather loincloth, which is interesting. And Harry blasts him with a couple of spells and does about as much as you'd expect it to do to a gigantic ogre. Not a goddamn thing. Mm-hmm. He walks through, he's basically about to just destroy Harry more than he does as it is. And we get somebody yelling, a neighbor yelling, what's that racket? They call the police. And it's interesting, we've seen this before, where the police are kind of like off limits for most of the supernatural. Even the whether it's good or bad guys, they try to keep the mortal police out of it for the most part we've seen. Mm-hmm. whether that Which is reasonable. Yeah, just kind of, you don't want to be the one who blows it for everybody, I think. And it's really <laughs> like, like he's, Grum's not worried about Grum getting in trouble with police, mm-hmm. but if police now know that there's ogres, everyone, everyone important is going to be mad at Grum. Seems like kind of the idea. Mm-hmm. So they both dip in different directions. Harry realizes as he's on his way out that what the piece of paper he was able to snag from the satchel was a camera. No, a photo was a re- the result of a camera, the <laughs> thing that cameras make after you dip them in water and light and things. You know, if words were easy, anybody would be having a podcast list. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell everybody. So he's got a photograph of some children and an old man at the happiest place on earth. And one of them is presumably Rule. 
there's a couple of girls with green hair. Even in the photograph, we find that one girl is ugly and that one should be in a Lana Jure catalog with the curves and limbs and the combination of their juxtaposition, I guess, of the mm-hmm. descriptions of their, their hair color. Like, I'm gonna, we're going to talk about that later, I think. So there's two women, in the, two girls in the picture with green hair. There's two dudes as well. And as well as Ronald Rules. So there's four young people and one uh, summer night. And it seems like a strange thing for Grum to really be focusing on and grabbing, but maybe we'll find out more as we go. And Harry pockets it, rubs at his aching throat, and stumbles out the building to try to avoid these sirens and move on to his next piece of crime. Right. Wherever that might be. So Harry gets out and he tries to drive at a sedate pace, appearing not to be suspicious. And no one pulls him over, so he must have done it right. He says, score one for the good guys. Hey, once in a while. So this is a, th- this little bit of B&E was serendipitous. Uh, he says, I'd gone to Ruel's apartment on a simple snoop, not really expecting to find much, if anything. But I'd gotten lucky. Not only had I shown up at the right place, I'd done it at the right time. Someone obviously wanted to hide something there. Either more pictures like the one I'd found, or other papers from somewhere in the place. What I needed to determine now was what Grum had been trying to collect, or, nearly as good, why he was trying to make some kind of evidence vanish. And then we learned a little bit about ogres. Grum is an ogre. Ogres aren't exactly known for their independent initiative. Ogres were wild fae. They could work for either summer or winter. And they would have a range of personalities and temperaments, running the gamut from jovially violent to maliciously violent. Grum hadn't seemed to be on the cheerful end of that particular scale, but he had been both decisive and restrained. The average walking mountain of muscle from fairy wouldn't have held back from beating me to a pulp, regardless of what the neighbors shouted. That meant that Grum had more savvy than the average bear, that he was dangerous even if I didn't take into account how easily he had ignored the spells I'd hurled at him. All ogres have an innate capacity for neutralizing magical forces to one degree or another. Grum had grounded out my spells like I'd been scuffing my feet on the carpet to give him a little static electricity zap. That meant he was an old fairy and a strong one. The quick and thorough shapeshifting supported that assessment as well. Your average club-swinging thewmonger couldn't have taken human form complete with clothing so ably. So Grum is an old, skilled ogre. Did not ever expect to be putting those three words in a sentence together, but here we are. And so he looks at the photo again, and he's curious, who the hell, is, who the hell are these people? And then he decides to go crash a funeral. He pulls up to Quiet Acres Funeral Home. And he says, I couldn't casually take my staff or my blasting rod into the funeral home. People who don't believe in magic look at you a little oddly when you walk in toting a big stick covered with carvings of runes and sigils. (laughs) All right. On the sigils comment there. um, Sigils? Our friend James Marsters. Love him dearly. He does pronounce that that word wrong in the uh, audio book recording. But that's okay. That's okay. But he just says it a lot. A lot of sigils. It's sigils. Okay? Uh, for, you know, if you don't know what runes are, runes are specific uh, symbols as are sigils. Sigils are, are symbols 
that draw in certain powers and energy. Runes are a set that you read the runes. Runes are used for a certain purpose. So there we go. So he's loaded with his ring, mostly depleted, his shield bracelet, and his mother's silver pentacle amulet. And he goes into the room where uh, good old Ronnie's laid out. They did not do a good job laying him out. And he looks around the room and no one was standing in the shadows, smoking a cigarette or looking about with a shifty eyed gaze. I couldn't see anyone quickly hiding a bloody knife behind his back or twirling a mustache either. That ruled out the Dudley Do-Right approach to finding the killer. (laughs) I appreciate that. But I also, that we had spoken in, you know, about how initially this started out as a bit of a noir and we have the noir form of Grum when he initially sees him. He's a noir character. And then he's making these descriptions like uh, noir jokes. I appreciate that. It's sort of that tongue-in-cheek look that I appreciate. And, you know, the thing is, it could be fairies are throwing a glamour or a veil. But even experienced fairies have trouble passing for mortal. Who knew? Mab had looked good, sure, but she hadn't really looked normal. Grum had been much the same. I mean, he'd looked human, sure, but also like an extra on the set of The Untouchables. Fairies can do a lot, a lot of things really well, but... but but blending in with a crowd generally isn't one of them. Which makes sense, because all the fairies we've met are like, everybody pay attention to me. So that makes sense. Okay, so then he slips out mm-hmm. of the room, back into a hallway, and he hears some whispering. A male, sorry, two males and a female. And what the female at one point says, she doesn't stay gone this long. You know how she gets by herself. And... They also mentioned that the wizard is here. Here, the second male echoed in t- panicky tone. Now, why didn't you tell us? I just did, dimwit. A said, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? He's in Mab's pocket. You know he is. She crossed, she crossed over from Fairy today. So, his well-kept secret isn't so well-kept, apparently. And so they sneak out. And into a alley. And Harry, of course, follows them. He opens the door, and they were standing not five feet away. Three of the young people from Ruel's photo. The small, skinny man with the blonde white hair and dark tan was facing me. He was dressed in what looked like a second-hand brown suit and a yellow polyester clip-on tie. His eyes widened almost comically, and his mouth dropped open in shock. He squeaked, and it was enough to let me identify him as Fix. Beside him was the other young man, Ace. He was the one with the dark curly hair and goatee, wearing a gray sport coat with a white shirt and dark slacks. He still had his sunglasses on when he turned to look at me, and he clawed at the pocket of his jacket upon seeing me. The third was the brawny, homely young woman with the muddy green hair and heavy brow. She had on a pair of jeans tight enough to show the muscles in her thighs and a khaki blouse. She didn't hesitate. She didn't even look. She just turned, her arms sweeping out as she did, and fetched and fetched me with a blow to my cheek with the back of one shovel-sized hand. The one thing I noticed in his description is they're all dressed in muted colors or natural colors, except for her hair. Well, I guess green is a natural color. But they're 
all very muted colors, the brown and yellow, the gray sport coat. She's in uh, khaki blouse and jeans, nothing to stand out except for her green hair. Um, so he gets tossed. Ace pulls a small caliber, autom- a small caliber semi-automatic from his jacket. Don't be stupid. They'd kill us all, he says to the woman. Or the woman says to him, sorry. I say in my way of attempting a greeting. My mouth had gone rather numb, and my tongue felt like a lead weight. Just like I say here. Fix jumped up and down, pointing at me. His voice shrill. He's casting on us! And then he gets kicked again and goes flying into a dumpster. <laughs> and a head pops up over the edge of the dumpster. And he realizes it's, Her- it's Billy the werewolf. Harry, what are you doing here? Looking for suspects. He <laughs> frowned and hauled me out of the trash. I wobbled for a second or two until my head stopped spinning quite so quickly. Billy steadied me with one hand. You find any? I'd say so. Billy nodded and peered up to me. Did you decide that before or after they hit you in the face and threw you in the garbage? I brushed coffee grounds off my jeans. Do I tell you how to do your job? Actually, yeah. All the time. Okay, okay. Did you bring the pizza? Yeah, Billy said. Got it back in the car. Why? I brushed up my shaggy hair. What I hoped were more coffee grounds fell out. I started walking down the alley towards the front of the building. Because I need to make a few bribes, I said, looking back over my shoulder at Billy. Do you believe in fairies? I love that. And I love that Billy just keeps coming back and as, like, his, like, assistant, his investigative assistant. In my notes, I put Billy's back heart. I really do like Billy. I think he's a great character in the way that that he's being used within the story is fantastic. I do love the back and forth. Like, Can I tell you how to do your job? Like, yes, that's yeah, always literally our entire relationship is you telling me how to do uh-huh. my job. <laughs> I love that. It's so fantastic. So they have a good little uh, conversation about the magic circle and him getting toot toot to come eat the pizza. Kind of similar to the scene we and had really in that, that Stormfront. I literally wrote in all caps. Oh, yes, it is great. Sorry, I got really excited there. Oh, toot toot. I love me some toot toot. The, uh, <laughs> he is mm-hmm. such a great little guy. <laughs> and they have a good chat where Harry realizes he doesn't know it all. As Billy says, hey, I can wolf out and figure. He's like, well, they already left. So was like, yeah, I can get my set though. Because <laughs> like, I'll be a wolf, you know? Yeah, they're. Pizza first, and then you can prowl around in a little bit. They put the pizza into the circle, and they go hide. And he starts using the name of Toot Toot to try to get him swooping in. We know that Harry knows the name. We also know mm-hmm. he won't tell us the name, which is probably safe, because probably for the best, rather. Because I would just conjure Toot Toot all the time. All the time. Just to hang out and watch TV with. Uh, yep. <laughs> it's like, hey, bro, want some pizza? <laughs> got pizza and beer too let's do it <laughs> so so we learn a little bit more about the seven laws of magic we know that controlling an inhuman being via its name is borderline mm-hmm. but taking over the will of another mortal is the explicit law and so what harry's doing is two full steps removed but remember morgan still tried to get him on it in stormfront so mm-hmm. it's it's shady magic adjacent, but it's not actually yeah. shady magic, but he just wants to be careful. Um, so he 
whispers the name, and after a few minutes, a cross between a hummingbird and a falling star comes through, and there lands Toot Toot. He's got a little bit more going on this time. He has some armor, mm-hmm. which is important. He's a big boy now. He's got a spear made out of a pencil and a pin. He's got a Coke bottle hat, helmet, and uh, he's ready to go to war because, of course, he is. As after a few seconds after he lands, he raises up his arm and does some silent military hand signals. <laughs> and the, the whole crew comes down and lands with him. And we have a ridiculous mispronunciation of every rank. But Toot Toot's got a captain who reports a Lou Tender report, Star Jump report, Corpse Oral, first class privy, second class privy. Everyone's here generous and we're hungry. So they fall apart from Essie and they start looking to destroy this pizza. When all of a sudden, pop, there is now a circle around them and they freak out. Toot Toot gets him to, gets him to calm down with a 10 huts and realizes that Harry Dresden is the one who's trapped him now. <laughs> Which is interesting. Remember last time we met Toot Toot, he said that he basically forgets everything shortly after it happens. Mm-hmm. And now, A, he's... Got got a band together, and B he remembers that Harry Dresden as well. We learn a little bit more about fairy lore. We learn that there's the wild fae, which is basically people who aren't summer. Do we learn that here, or do we not learn that yet? Aren't summer or winter? Yeah, but, but they do. They call them wild fae, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they do. Um, which are not of summer or winter. But they are of fairy, and so they're kind of in between. And whenever there's a war or a battle or some issue comes up, they can be called by one queen or the other. And, or they can choose to go one way or the other as well. And he mentions that, Toot mentions that he can smell the cold queen on the emissary, which I like. Toot, Toot is more than Harry gives him credit for, I think is mm-hmm. really what is being proven by this scene here. Um, he's still kind of a joke to Harry, but I think it looks like he should realize that's dumb. Um, and they have a super duper double dog promise spit swear where Toot is going to help out Harry and Harry's going to give him the pizza and they have a little back and forth about who's going to win the war, the various wars. Um, and it starts, it start really starting to ramp up between summer and winter that some of the wild fae are starting to be called they're being drawn as they say and again we just learn about who's who goes where he talks about the warm queen where the nice the nice ones go to the warm queen and the mean ones to the cold mm-hmm. which is what we've been seeing so far really encouraging us to think that harry might be working for the wrong team here where yeah. if the bad guys are winter and everyone's terrified of mab put two and two together here wizard Well, also, uh, at some point, they mention that winter is ice and summer is fire. And Harry's go-to is fuego. Fuego. So that was another thing that I was just like, well. Yeah. (laughs) It might just mean things with a she are more complicated than they appear. Possibly. Possibly. (laughs) Nobody listens to Bob. So we learned that, that Harry's still leaving pizza for the little folk, as he's mentioned in at the end of. Stormfront, because mm-hmm. dude says you sure given us a lot of pizza the past couple of years, Harry. Which and is I great. love that they still have their working relationship. I love it. 
basically uh, he's not bribing him. He's on retainer. Mm-hmm. So he needs information and he's paying him with pizza. So Toot works out a guide for Harry to get down into Undertown and find the Winter Lady. Yes. The Summer Lady is on top of one of those big buildings, which, which is not very helpful. pizza place. Chicago. Yeah, oh, it's the one by the pizza shop. Of course. I love that his, all of his uh, directions and locations involve pizza. Yeah. Well, you take the pizza truck or it's on the pizza shop. Mm-hmm. Oh, goodness gracious. So we get Elodie. Did you catch the uh, name there? No. Of Elodie. Of- I, I Elodie. saw that. As in, say it slower. Elodie? A lady. Nope. Blinking light. A blinking light. L-E-D. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, and it, the thing is, is it's pronou- he pronounces it Elodie. He's pronounced it with an O in the audio book. And I didn't realize when I was looking at it, when I was going through the actual text, I was like, why is it spelled like that? If her name's it's, Elodie. It's L-E-D. L-E-D. There, but, but it's very clearly. That's... Spectacular. That's the joke. Oh, goodness gracious. So. Um, so there, uh, LED, LED, the fairy is going to lead them to the ladies. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> he has, says, LED, do you want any pizza before we go? And it goes and jumps on the on the pizza. Um, Billy the naked comes back and is putting on a sweatshirt, becoming Billy the clothed. <laughs> and we see the uh, fairies are just destroying the pizza. He says, "Wow, that's sort of pretty in a Jaws kind of way," because um, <laughs> they're blinking light. They're they're flashing lights because they're fairies. Yeah, it's just funny. They're pretty. Um, so Billy hopefully was getting the, the sense that they needed as he was prowling around. Um, and they decide, uh, Billy, you know, they're going to figure out where they're going. And the Harry introduces Billy to LED and they're going to go confront the winter lady in her underground lair. Billy says, Harry, are you expecting trouble? (laughs) I sighed and rubbed at the space between my eyebrows. Definitely getting a headache. It was going to be a long night. (laughs) There's always trouble. Always. Uh, And so LED leads Billy and Harry through alleys and a fire escape all over the place. Uh, It took better than half an hour of scrambling after the tiny fairy through the muggy heat, and by the end of it, I wished I'd told Toot Toot that we wanted someone who could read a street map and guide us there in a car. (laughs) (laughs) We learned a little bit about Chicago's commuter tunnels, and they're a maze, if you don't know them. And the tunnels are closed after a workday and wouldn't be open until around 6 a.m. the next day, but Elodie leads them to an unfinished building, and they get in that way. So they're on the Pedway, and I really love this aspect of where they have the reality of Chicago built into this fantasy world. It's really great. And that this, they have to use these real locations to find the fantasy place. 
which is really neat. And so they continue, and Elodie drifted over an especially dark section of wall and flew in a little circle in front of it. Okay, I guess this is where we get in. Where we get in where? Get, or So where we get in? We get into where, Billy asks. Undertown. What do you mean, Undertown? I've never heard of it before. I was probably working here for five or six years before I did, I said. You have to understand the history of Chicago, how they did things here. Billy folded his arms. I'm listening. The city is a swamp, I said, still searching for means of opening the door with my fingertips. We're darn near level with Lake Michigan. When they first built the place, the town kept sinking into the muck. I mean, every year it sank lower. They used to build streets and then build a latticework of wood over them, and then another street on top of that, planning on, making, planning on them slowly sinking. They planned houses the same way, built the front door on the second floor, and called it a Chicago entry, so when the house sank, the front door would be at ground level. But what about when the street sank? Built another one on top of it, so you wound up with the whole city existing under street level. They used to have a huge problem with rats and criminals holding up under the streets. But not anymore, Billy asked. The rats and thugs mostly got crowded out by other things. Became a whole miniature civilization down here. And it was out of sight of the sun, which made it a friendly place for all the night-crawling critters. Hence, Undertown. Uh, Billy asks him if he comes down there a lot. Hell no. All kinds of nastiness lives down here. Like what? Lots of things. Stuff you don't often see on the surface. Things even wizards know almost nothing about. Goblins. Spirits of the earth. Worms, things that have no name, plus the usual riffraff. Vampires sometimes finding lairs down here during the day. Trolls can hide here too. Molds and fungi you don't get in most of the natural world. You name it. Billy pursed his lips thoughtfully. So you're taking us into a maze of lightless, rotting, precarious tunnels full of evil fairies and monsters. I nodded. Maybe leftover radiation too. God... You're a fun guy, Harry. You're the one who wanted in on the action. <laughs> I love that. So they head on in, and before they get through the door, Harry says, okay, you need to know some things. These are fairies. We'll probably run into a lot of the she, their nobles, hanging out with the winter lady. That means they're going to, they're going to be dangerous and will probably try to entrap you. What do you mean entrap me? Bargains deals they'll trade they'll try to offer you things get you to trade one thing for another why i don't know it's in their nature the concept of uh the concept of debt and obligation is a huge factor in how they behave that's why the little guy worked for you right because he owed you for the pizza and he had a debt to you right but it can work both ways if you owe them something they have a conduit to you and can use magic against you the basic rule is to not accept any gifts from them. And for God's sake, don't offer them any gifts. They find anything other than an equal exchange to be either enticing or insulting. It isn't a big deal with little guys like Toot, but if you get into it with the She-Lord, you might not live through it. Billy shrugged. Okay, no gifts. Dangerous fairies. Got it. <laughs> I love that. And then he explains, you know, that it's not going to necessarily be a, a, a lovely wrapped package. And that they're going to try to tempt you and put you off balance. Tempt me? Like with sex? Is that what you're saying? Like any kind of sensual indulgence. Sex, food, beauty, music, perfume. When they offer, don't accept it, or you will be opening yourself up for a world of hurt. Billy nodded. Okay, got it. Let's go already. Oh, it always worries me when a young, impatient critter gets involved here. So they get into the tunnel, and Harry stops. 
because he hears something. He's, he tells Billy he doesn't think they're alone. And he says, I am the wizard Dresden, emissary of the Winter Court, bound to pay a call upon the Winter Lady. I've no time or desire for a fight. Stand clear and let me pass. And a voice comes out of the darkness and says, we know who you are, wizard. The voice said its inflections were all wrong, and the tone seemed to come from not far above the ground, somewhere off to my right. Elodie let out a high-pitched shriek of terror and zipped back into me, diving into my hair. I felt the warmth of light around the tiny fairy, like a patch of sunlight on my scalp. I traded a look with Billy and turned towards the source of the voice. Who are you? A servant of the Winter Lady, the voice replied from directly behind me. Sent here to guide you to safety through this realm and to her court. And he looks and there's nothing there except a pair of eyes a few inches off the floor. So Harry asks again, who are you? Many names I am, am I called, and any many paths have I trod. Hunter I have been, and watcher and guide. My lady sent me to bring you thither, safe and whole and well. Don't get me mad. Oh, sorry. What were you going to say? That was it. This gives me, like, Cheshire Cat vibes. A hundred percent. Don't get mad at me, Charlie, I snapped. You know the drill as well as I do. Thrice I ask and done. Who are you? The voice came out harsh and sullen and barely intelligible. Grimalkin am I called by the cold lady who bids me guide her mother's emissary with safe conduct to her court and her throne. I let out a breath. All right, I said. So lead us. I just love that. And quit talking and get leading. Exactly. And the unseen fairy guide was good at its word. There were glowing footprints, which they were following, and they get to a door. Made of some black wood I could not identify. The doors were eight or nine feet high and carved in rich bas relief. At first, I thought the carvings were of garden theme. Leaves, vines, flowers, fruit, that kind of thing. But as I walked closer to the door, I could see more detail in the light of my glowing amulet. The forms of people lay among the vines. Some sprawled amorously together, while others were nothing more than skeletons wrapped in creeping roses or corpses staring with sightless eyes from within a bed of poppies. Here and there in the garden, one could see the evidence of the she, a pair of eyes, a veiled figure, and their hangers-on, little fairies like Toot-Toot, leaf-clad dryads, pipe-wielding satyrs, and many, many others hiding from the mortals' views, mortals' views dancing. So, when I first heard pipe-wielding satyrs, I'm thinking, like a lead pipe, like a weapon. Not like a pipe that you smoke out of. <laughs> I'm like, why are there pipe-wielding satyrs in the carvings? Yeah, no, it's the mythical with the, like, a tobacco pipe. I'm really magical. Anyway, so we move on. And Billy asks, they aren't exactly subtle, are they? Summer's better at it than winter. But they all can be when it suits them. Mm-hmm. You know what bothers me, Harry? What? Grimalkin never said he'd lead us out again. I glanced at Billy. Quiet, hissing laughter came out of the darkness, directionless. I took a deep breath. Steady, Harry. Don't let the kids see you get nervous. And they, the doors open, and it has this great cinematic description of the room. I don't know what I expected from the winter court, but it wasn't big band music. A large brass section blared from somewhere behind the doors, and drums rattled and pounded with the rough, genuine sound of animal skins. 
the lights were colored and muted, as if the whole place was lit by Christmas strands, and I could see shadows whirling and moving inside. Dancers. The room could have come from a roaring twenties hotel. Hell, it might have been if the hotel had sunk into the earth, turned slightly upon its side, and been decorated by things with no concept of human values. Whatever it had been, once been, it had always been meant for dancing. And then we get the description of the the space, and over the treacherous blocks danced the winter she. Beautiful didn't come close. It didn't start to come close. So the people were dressed in 1940s attire, and they're whirling through and with colors and bared throats and breasts, hair caught catching gleams of light. And Harry's not watching, not getting too close, not paying attention to, not, not getting too in, enthralled with it. But Billy hadn't been as paranoid as me. And he stood staring at the dance floor, his eyes wide. So they step back and he describes the space. There's a, a, the dance floor descended directly into a pool of water or what he presumed was water at any rate. Beyond the dance floor, there were raised tiers, each one with a separate little table. And on the bandstand, the drummer went to a brief solo, and then the instruments, instruments cut off altogether, all but one. The lead trumpet player stayed standing, belting out a solo while the winter lords danced. He was a middle-aged man, a little overweight, his face flushed, scarlet, then purple, as his trumpet rang out through the solo. Then all at once, the she stopped dancing. Dozens of beautiful faces turned to watch the soloist, eyes glittering in the muted light. The man continued to play, but I could see that something was wrong. The flush of his face deepened even more, and veins began to throb in his forehead and throat. His eyes widened and began to, began to bulge, and he started shaking. And he basically, he keeps playing until he dies. A murmur goes through the she, and I look to see them parting, stepping aside with deep bows and curtsies for someone emerging from their midst. A tall girl walks slowly toward the fallen musician. Her features were pale, radiant, and perfect, and looked like an adolescent copy of Mab's. That's where the resemblance ended. She looked young, young enough to make a man feel guilty for thinking the wrong thoughts, but old enough to make them difficult not to. She moved over to the musician, and she kisses him. And says, there, she murmured, there, you see? Never let it be said that Lady Maeve does not fulfill her promises. You said you'd die to play that well, poor creature. And now you have. So we're introduced to the Lady of the Winter. And her name is Maeve, even though in the audiobook it is pronounced as Mav. It's Maeve. It's an Irish name. Uh, so once they were all settled in, I stepped forward and walked across the dance floor until I stood at the foot of the tier. I looked up at Maeve and inclined my head to her. Lady Winter, I presume. Maeve smiled at me, showing a dimple, and gave one foot a girlish bounce indeed. Girlish he bounce. Says, he also says mauve sometimes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, because mauve is closer to mauve the color, but it's not Mav. It's Maeve. Uh, Maeve smiled at me, showing a dimple, and gave one foot a girlish bounce indeed. You know in what capacity I am here, lady. Naturally, I nodded. Nothing like a frontal assault, then. Did you arrange the murder of the summer night? Silence fell on the room. The regard of the winter she grew more intent and more uncomfortable. Maeve's mouth spread into a slow smile in which 
in turn became a quiet rolling laugh. She let her head fall back with it, and the she joined in with her. They sat there laughing at me for a good 30 seconds, and I felt my face begin to heat up with irrational embarrassment before Maeve waved one hand in a negligent gesture, and the laughter obediently died. Stars, she murmured. I adore mortals. I clenched my jaw. That's swell, I said. Did you arrange the murder of the summer night? If I had, do you really think I'd tell you? You're evading, I growled. Answer the question. I just can't give you that kind of information, Wizard Dresden. It's too powerful. What is that supposed to mean? It means if you want me to answer that question, you're going to have to pay for it. What is the answer worth to you? I assume you have something in mind. That's why you sent someone to give us quick passage here. To give a safe passage here. Quick? I like that. Yes, I do, wizard. Please sit down. Let's make a deal. I love it. She's just jumping right in. Jumping right in to play the game. So, like, how this is a much more mature version of Harry than we've seen in the past. Mm -hmm. There's these, like, gorgeous creatures all around him. And he gets right to business and says, you know, ask the question he meant to. This is not... Usually he would dance around stuff. He would, you mm -hmm. know, get distracted by titties. Um, <laughs> and not that and he, he made a little not. bit. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I don't know. Him just asking the direct question, I feel like, is a progress from what we've yeah, seen. Yeah, 100%. As a, just as an investigator and as a person, not even as like from a yike standpoint, just like as an investigator, like mm -hmm. ask your question. Like stop pussyfooting around here. Yep. I like it. You want me to cut another deal with the she? I said, I didn't bother to hide my disbelief. When I burst out laughing at you, do you think you'll be offended? <laughs> Again, progress from the La Fortier. <laughs> Talks mm. about laughing and doesn't actually laugh. Hey. Uh -huh. And Morgan, he laughed at both of them. So clearly, you know, we talk about Harry, you know, being a bit of a dick to authority figures here. I think he realizes this is a different world. He doesn't want to actually start laughing at her maybe i don't know um i think he sees that she's a bit more dangerous exactly <laughs> she she tells that it wouldn't wouldn't hurt you to listen to my offer <laughs> he says i've heard that before usually right before i get screwed <laughs> oh which is true billy says that you know they're, they're already starting to play games with you maybe we should get out of here they're giving me the creeps and Harry said yeah that would be the smart thing but it wouldn't help you get answers so then he's, he he goes over to mave and they bring him a, a tray with water and glasses which as we know would be them taking a gift if they got some of that and Maeve goes through, you know does her little sexy routine she goes through her whole thing and she tries to make a deal and her deal is she wants his firstborn in exchange for the knowledge he seeks he's like well I don't have any kids and she does this whole deal where a gorgeous she lady comes out of the water and is all sexy. um I have a question about that go ahead about the gorgeous she lady mm-hmm her hair was a deep shade of emerald green. Yes. She was tall, slender, and naked, obviously, but that she was faced with sweetly angelic sort of a girl next door. Perhaps like the girl in the picture? Well, but Is this the girl in the picture? Well, he knows what the girl in the picture looks like, though, right? But, I mean, it's also in a apparently old... I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I, this is just... This was me just yeah, no, spitballing that's, that's here. I mean, the green hair is certainly notable that's the third or is that just a trait of Faye? well it's the third character we've had or well maybe it's a second. Green maybe, hair, yeah. maybe second good call with green hair sorry I no it's cut you off no, I got it's, really no it's interesting I, that's a good catch i like i like those those 
musings. We get a description of a, a naked, pale, supple woman, and it's actually not all that yikesy. It really is a pretty good description. Mm-hmm. It's almost as though he treats the Fae with a little bit more respect. <laughs> Which is sad, but true. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Billy says, is it just me or is it getting a little warm in here? And he goes to take some water and Harry's like, no, 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 no. Fake fairy water. And this green-haired she-lady, they do this seduction routine where it's Jen. Jen, Jenny Greenteeth is this character. And they end up trying to... She offers her body and experience for him to get a child on. And then Maeve will take the child and she'll give you the information that you need. Seems like a pretty straightforward exchange. Do your thing, boy. Mm -hmm. Except obviously not. And she just keeps trying to sweeten the deal sexually harry goes and gets the water i like there's the uh the clinking rattling glass as he's filling a cup this is the second time Uh we've seen that imagery Mm -hmm. in this novel i just think that's a funny um certainly intentional callback there and he (laughs) Billy's like uh didn't you say about taking food and drink uh from fat i mean these people (laughs) (laughs) and then he pours the cold water down his uh Onto his junk. Tries to settle some things down down there. Uh-huh. <laughs> he says, sorry, sweetie. I got a couple problems with that offer. One, I'm not handing a child over to you. Not mine. <laughs> not anyone's. Not now. Not ever. See, he, really, Bob's going to be disappointed with him. If you oh, had yeah. a brain in your head, you'd have known that. And she tries to cut him off. You dare shut up. I'm not finished. I came here under <laughs> your invitation and protection. I am your guest. But in spite of that, you've thrown glamour at me anyway. I don't have time for this crap. You don't scare me, lady. I came here for answers. But if you keep pushing me, I'm going to push back. Hard. I like the balls on this kid. Again, he doesn't like, you know, more than anything, Harry hates bullies. And yeah. she was trying to use her power over him yeah. to squeeze, to put the squeeze on him. And mm-hmm. I like that response. And it gets results here. You know, I mean, obviously. It does. Which is great. And basically just smacks her, in the, smacks her down. And He's calling her out for her bullshit. Yeah, 100%. And then a new voice comes in, a masculine drawl. I told you, Maeve, you should have been polite. Anyone who declares war on the Red Court isn't going to be the sort to take kindly to pressure. This guy that walks in has uh, droplets of dark reddish-brown stains on his shirt and his face. Mm-hmm. He's just shy of six feet tall. He's got a snowflake of white scar tissue on his throat. A brand. A sigil, perhaps? A sigil? A snowflake a sigil. sigil. And he comes in there and he gives a box to Maeve and says, it's done. It wasn't as easy as you said it would be, but I did it. And we find out that this is Lloyd Slate, the Winter Knight. And so Harry says, you're the Winter Knight? Did you kill Ronald Rule? <laughs> Uh, I love he's just like, hey, was it you? Yeah. How about you? How about you? How about you? This is great. Again, just a very, this is a very much more mature Harry than we've seen in the past. And I like. Oh, very much so. He's supposed to be, you know, 26, 27 now, maybe come on 28 um, as he gets older and wiser. And he's again, he's had more socialization now also more in the last few mm-hmm. years than he really ever did in his life. So um, just getting better at being a person and setting and trying to reach goals. I like that. Um, yeah. He's like, I, I, didn't, I didn't kill him. I'm not sure I could have. 
And Harry's like, he's an old man. He's like, saw a lot of wizards. I could have bench pressed him, sure. Killing him, something else <laughs> altogether. Maeve takes the knife out of the box that Slate gave her when he said, it, it's done. And she, he sees, Harry sees that the knife is crusted with some kind of black gelatinous substance, like burned barbecue sauce. And she's, Did he kill a vampire? I don't know. <laughs> he's got red, that was just mine. He's got reddish brown stuff all over him, and there's a knife. Interesting. With black goo. She throws the knife at, at Slate. He picks up the knife and looks like he's going to go try to kill her. And then, and then she does something weird where she, like, the whole room goes cold, and she, like, locks mm -hmm. him down. Like his uh, snowflake kind of gl glitters. And Jen slides in there and they're doing some sort of like glamour or spell on him. And mm -hmm. then they jam a needle into his arm, which is just covered in like track marks. And they give him something and mm. he seems to calm down. And Billy says, What the hell was that? <laughs> I had the same opinion as Billy. Yeah. Probably what passes for a polite disagreement. Get up. <laughs> we're leaving. And he's, you know, she maybe tries to stop him. Says the bargain's not complete. He says, nope, this talk's done. We're out of here. Deuces. And you know, she says, you had to push, push yourself to make him stand still. You're out of gas going up against your own knight. And you're sloppy, sweetheart. Reckless. A clean killing like rules takes a plan. And that ain't you. He says, I did not give you leave to go. I didn't ask. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Billy. They're out. And they step out the door. And there's a, the door is shut with a hollow boom. And as soon as he turns on his amulet light, the doors are gone. It's just a stone wall, which is pretty cool. You know, some kind of basically like they, they teleported. Which is interesting. You know, it, the the yeah. doors were away, just like we see Harry do when he does his apartorum makes a doorway the same kind of idea and that's kind of cool that there's just a standing gateway to somewhere wherever the hell they were i put path to the never never question mark yeah which is cool and they have a they have a little back and forth where uh harry realizes she's not all that powerful uh because she's so sloppy we talked about that earlier like mm -hmm. really powerful magic you can barely tell it's happening and yeah. She was putting a binding on her night and the whole room got cold. She really wasn't able to channel it at all. <laughs> like the line by Billy where he says, after what we just saw, anyone else would be shaking. You're giving her the rating from the Russian judge. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. Yeah, I'm trying to think we really haven't seen the wolves and Harry doing big time magic in the same place. And they know he's a powerful wizard, but they don't really know what that entails. I don't think. Because he yeah, said they've only heard tell of it. Yeah, and Billy and you know Billy's got his ear to the street, so he definitely knows what's what's up. But he says, "Could you do what she did?" And Harry's like, "He'd probably use fire." And Billy's you know impressed. He doesn't really, he still doesn't know what he's gotten into with his friendship. I think, um, <laughs> and you can see why he defers to him so often, right? Like, he, uh -huh. I don't think he plays the assistant to very many people in his life anymore. This, Especially someone with such power. Yeah, this meek number two, but because of who Harry can be. I think he takes the step back and not to say that he's not his true friend or anything like that, but just their relationship. He says he couldn't be Maeve because the, the murder was clean enough to look like an accident. And she's not methodical at all. Mm -hmm. Well, he referred to her as an, that she looks like an adolescent version of Mab. Mm -hmm. 
And she behaves like it too with her magic. Okay. A little bit reckless and not not well like what teenagers do you know that could plot and plan anything? Exactly. Yeah. Whereas Mav is or Mav is like calm, cool, calculated, like uh-huh. that's kind of how she's described. Cold and exactly plotting. Harry says all he's got is more questions. Everyone's been telling him to hurry. Fairies don't do that. Mm. They're practically immortal. I like that sentence a lot. And that's kind of yeah. kind of interesting. But Mab and Grimalkin have both tried to rush me now. And Maeve went for the high-pressure sales tactic like she didn't have time for anything more subtle. Something's in motion. If I don't run down the killer, the courts could go to war with one another. And that would explain the World War II dress motif back there. War. Mm-hmm. I could have stayed longer. I might have been able to work, work out more, but I was getting too nervous in there. Discretion. Valor. Billy said by way of agreement. <laughs> I like that line. Um, I do too. They, call, they, get, they get their LED back. He has his uh, amulet light cooking and they, the pixie leads them back out of the hallway, back towards the, out of Undertown, back towards the car. And as they get into an alleyway, about halfway down, Billy grabs his arm and throws him behind him saying, Harry, get back. And he kicks the trash can into somebody and blasts him uh, into the face, which I love. But Billy can just mm-hmm. aim trash can kicks at people. Billy just is, that's his power and his strength. Yeah. Probably the wolf. Yeah, he probably that's a superpower kicking trash cans at people. Changing into a wolf just came <laughs> later. Um, I wonder if he smelled him or what. But uh, yeah. well, remember he went and tried to smell them and said that he could probably smell them if he came across them again. Oh, exactly. So it might have just come on the air. Yeah, no, good catch. And so there's a, a hand the size of a dinner plate closes around the back of his neck and he gets lifted up from behind. And a, a feminine voice says, "Let go of the amulet and call him off, wizard." Call him off before I break your neck. Great. Good, good place to stop. Good stuff. Yeah, very good. Right. Um, anything on that chapter in particular or hop into the break? Um, couple things. Well, I already said the girl on the lake is the girl in the photo. Um, and I was thinking that door is just a pathway to the never, never, even though Tutu said she's there. So it's kind of like an interesting kind of, thing there and uh like i said the box did he kill a vampire um why do you think vamp- why do you, why did your brain go to vampire the brown gre- the black greasy substance on the knife oh, okay because remember when their true form mm-hmm. is that black gre- greasy okay um and the other thing that i'd probably use fire when he tells billy that that he could do it but he'd probably use fire mm-hmm. that was like i literally wrote in giant letter summer court so harry's working for the wrong team um, also, a wizard and a mortal having a child with a fae, there, there's, some, there's something in that with, with, with just normal fantasy lore. What do you mean? Like, there's, like the, the whole concept of, of a mortal and the fae, there's always some conflict there. In every single book that you have fairies, there's the, that child either has special powers or is especially troubled so i just thought it was an interesting i wrote that down that wizard slash mortal and fey question mark yeah uh, why and i wonder what what mave's motivations would be what would she get out of have, having yeah that child um just interesting thought yeah no definitely and that was one of my thoughts where i was like huh but yeah All right. 
I mean, again, there wasn't a ton of action, but I really do feel like the first couple chunks we had were a little bit cluttered and kind of all over the place. This is one, you know, because we had all the different storylines that we still have, but this was really focused on solving the murder. It was a little bit more yeah. direct and focused. And so we could progress instead of having three stories lines kind of progress slowly. This was one chunk progressing one story a lot, which I liked. Yeah. It was a very important progression as well. Yeah. And we were given a lot of, uh, a lot of information about the world, a little bit more world building now. And it's fantastic. Oh yeah. It was a ton. Cause this it was so focused on again. Like I think when I, you know, was mentioned yesterday, it's not my favorite. I think that's a big part of it is it, it feels a little bit, Cl- uh, cluttered and confused early on um i really dug these chapters i really started to get yeah. into this book here in this chunk and i i think if memory serves i think i i'm gonna be a little bit more enjoyable for me at least moving forward because of that I, like i said the things i like world building is great the lore is great you know but as the characters grow and progress and interact with each other i really like that stuff and when the stories are all muddled it's hard to get that because so much of the narrative has to go to shaking out the plots to get something coherent. And now Uh we're on one coherent through line that we get all those character interactions that I really like. Yeah. Um, And then that's the thing where it's like, you get all these interactions, you kind of, you get a little bit more building with the people and the characters. And I love it. Yeah. And just the, the amount of time we spent with Billy and Harry just riffing off each other was really great. I love that. Definitely. And I love that. I love that pairing anyway. Mm-hmm. It's just a fantastic pair because it's while Billy does definitely obviously look up to Harry and his abilities, he still is. He still is young enough and snarky enough to keep us entertained. You know, like the. Uh, you know, do I tell you how to do your job? Fire. <laughs> it was just fantastic. That's great. I love it. Um, we saw Toot Toot again. That was always wonderful. I love Toot Toot. What do you think about the, this version of Toot Toot and his entourage versus the Toot Toot we saw in Stormfront? Um, it makes, a, it makes, a, it makes sense. It's, it, to me, it progressed properly because he, Harry brings him out and says, you know, check with your, check with your bros. Uh, if anybody's seen or heard anything. And these are his bros. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and I love that. Of course, he's the leader. Because he can get them pizza. He has a connection. <laughs> exactly. I love that. That was my thought on that, that he's the connection. He's got the pizza connection. That is why these, these, all these fairies, that why he is the generous. Well, I love and reference that back to the conversation with Bob, where knights are paper cups, but all the fae care about is... Is? That was a setup for you. Oh, I, I, don't, I don't remember. Power. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, all the fairies care about is power. It's power, but and the high fae, not the, not the little the little folk, right? Well, I don't know. What I'm saying is that the, he's the generous because he has access to a resource that the other fairies don't. Yes. And so he's true. building his little power base among the little folk. That makes sense. Which I just think is a really interesting angle there. I mean, he's got a full crew and there's a hierarchy. Oh, yeah. And his right-hand man, obviously, hey, I got access to the guy that's got access to pizza. 
yeah, come be my vassal or whatever. You know, I don't know if they're officially vassals or whatever, but like whatever they're called. Um, but Harry's helping to grow his power base. Yeah, which, that's true. Which I think is interesting. And and as the way power works in the Dresden verse is people believing you have power gives you power. And so I wonder what that means long term for Toot as he's growing his power base and how how big of a you know what 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 is he capable of? I just wonder. Yeah, that's a that's a good point though. That's a really good point. Um, and we do love Toot. We do love us some Toot. He is pretty great. Um the there's a little uh you know scuffle with Grum. Do you have any thoughts on that chapter at all? Um I do love that we've been introduced to another type of Fae mm-hmm. or something with Fae blood at least. Um I feel like he's gonna come back, or at least ogres are going to come back. Cause it feels like that they're that he's being used as the muscle. Yeah, and I, and I can Harry, appreciate that. Harry mentioned he's wild Fae, I think. Yes, yeah. he is. And so the wildfire being called or drawn in. Yeah. Just kind of this growing conflict. Again, we, we learn a lot about the way that fairy work, fairy the place, capital F works. Yeah. Um, just on Definitely. The comments like that, which is, again, just great show don't tell. Just they're talking about all what's of, happening. All of the elements that we see here are delivered as exposition, but in a way that makes sense and isn't isn't a exposition dump that's uncomfortable and ugly yeah really good stuff you got any questions or thoughts beyond those so we confirmed that the ogres part fey we we learned about listening my questions were i mean i already they were mostly in chapter 15 about the girl in the lake as a girl in the photo and what is the combination of a mortal and a fey like what do we get why is why does Lady Wh- Lady Winter want that? Why? Yeah, the why um, is very interesting. We we actually find out in the very next chapter what okay. mortal and fey offspring looks like. Or okay, we learn a little bit about that lore. Um, it's just, uh-huh. just funny, like literally in this chap- chapter coming up. And I will say, I mean, he knows what the girl he, the girl in the picture. He, there was two of them with green hair. Yeah. So we already know multiple people have green hair and he knows what she looks like. Right. So I, but we don't necessarily, I, my whole thought was like, it's a Polaroid. It sounds like it's an old Polaroid. That's fair. So that was my thought process on that. All right. But it's likely not her. It's just the green hair of her people. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, it's not because I, I, yeah, I don't want you to build any theories based on that. No, no, but, I, I really wasn't building too much of a theory, but that was like, it was just a thought when that came up because he talks about how pretty she is and how, how she's got pretty green hair. When in the picture, he talked about her pretty green hair and her brilliant, her great figure. So, yeah. Uh, well, Harry does notice a great figure. <laughs> he always does. Oh goodness. Um, definitely that errand that Maeve had Lloyd slate on is intriguing. Yes. Very. Um, and you're you're leaning vampire, which I like that idea. That's I mean because just because of the the black, greasy goo. What was the description of it? Um, some kind of black gelatinous substance, like burned barbecue yeah. sauce. Yeah, no, interesting. Um, no, I like that catch. I'm, I'm just I'm just trying to play Switzerland here. Um, <laughs> very good. I think that's all I got. Do you have any other thoughts there? 
I don't. I, I had a lot of thoughts, and I've kind of spewed them all out as we've gone. Yeah, no, it's great. <laughs> I mean, also, the one line I really liked, I didn't even catch until this last last walkthrough, like a couple hours before the pod, was they're practically immortal. Yeah. That practically is doing a lot of work in a sentence. A lot about, of heavy lifting. fairies. So very interesting. And um, yeah, we met the winter night, which is the counterpart to the summer night. So that's all good stuff. And yeah, let's uh, see if we got anything on the Yikes front. Oh, yeah. Yikes. All right. What are you thinking? The description of the girl in the photo. Mm-hmm. That was just... That was my biggest yikes was the description of the girl in the photo. Also, the way he said... Let me see the see if I can find the line. The description of her when she is walking towards the fallen musician where she is... He talks way too much about her boobs. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about... The, touched on this before and kind of gone back and forth with it. When the fae, or the she in particular... Are... Oh, this is what I found that found that the one thing that made me icky. Oh, go for it. So he says she looked like an adolescent copy of Mab, and then literally two sentences later, she was young, young enough to make a man feel guilty for thinking the wrong thoughts, but old enough to make it difficult not to. Yeah, that's certainly not great. The my problem with some of these kind of grossed me out. Oh no, I I very much I, that belongs in yikes for sure. It is important to note that the she are intentionally over the top sexy and, oh, yeah. and are using that as a strategy. They're using Wait. it as a weapon. So what's up? The girls with the green hair is one of them part. She, one of them part ogre. That's interesting. Why do you say that? Okay. Well, just, well, the green hair. Uh-huh. And then the, where she's, she looks like a lingerie model. She's in t- like intentionally sexy. And then the other one, just like her voice and her big, gigantic hands when we deal with the ogre where he literally swings and he goes flying into the other room she swings hits him in the head and practically knocks him out interesting i like it that was just no i like my uh i like it i don't know if that that's that's going to be my that's that could be considered a crackpot theory or if it's just analysis of the storyline so anyway it can be moving on it can be both that's what the crackpot (laughs) theories are supposed to be very thinly based uh thinly or thickly either way based in the text very cool i like it Sorry, it just popped in my head like that. No, that's great. I love that. This is this is what we co- that's what we come here for. I had just one thing to add on the yikes issue. Um, uh-huh. The descriptions when he looks looking at the picture and he's describing everyone. Mm-hmm. Obviously, how quickly he blasts through the ugly girl is certainly interesting. But the way he describes the ugly girl's hair versus the pretty girl's hair uh-huh. is so weird to me. Like, there's just different shades of green. Pond scum, though, is a weird. It is a pretty negative descriptor yeah. versus like, you know what I mean? Like it just seems like it just adds even more ickiness to some of his more sexy descriptions yeah. for me. Yeah, it's, it does. It does increase the dichotomy of it. Right. Yeah. No, the I'm, space I mean, between the two is greater. It, it makes it like, I think of how to phrase this properly. It just puts it in sharp relief, like ow, oh, over the top gross, the quote unquote positive descriptors are. Definitely. Um, but yeah, that was really, you know, that, and obviously, like you mentioned, kind of some of the descriptions where it's like, there's some, the fairies are trying to look this way. No, I actually thought he navigated that one a little bit better than I think you thought so, but that's just that comment about how she's so young, but she's so sexy. Like, that's fair. Very fair. It's just gross. No, good stuff. Uh, what do you have on our quote front of the week? Quote of the week front. I have several of them. Shocked. Color me shocked. You know, I love a good quote. I do love the... 
You've never even heard of diplomacy, have you? By Billy. <laughs> That's spectacular. And then, <laughs> newsflash, Coldilocks, I don't have any children. Coldilocks. <laughs> Coldilocks. That one, I didn't catch it in the audiobook, but I definitely caught it when I was reading it. I was like, oh, God, that's great. That's great. Oh, that's really cool. Uh, and then, dear penthouse, I muttered. I never thought something like this would happen to me. <laughs> that one made me giggle. And then the last one is, I won't forget this insolence. I probably Yeah, that, I had that one too. <laughs> <laughs> Just fantastic. Just fantastic. I also, though, I also did appreciate the, according to the White Council, Seven Laws of Magic, that's a capital crime, and they make zero tolerance poli- policies look positively lenient. <laughs> <laughs> I, there, I just, it was terrible. There's a lot of terribly entertaining part. Absolutely. Um, and if you don't do this other one, then I'm going to, I have one more if you don't get, get it. So do yours. <laughs> sheesh. Um, yeah, I had, the, I had the insolence one was one of mine. I got, um, because I have to make a few bribes. See when he's describing getting the pizza and setting it up for Billy. I just like that. I do, yeah. It kind of mirrors the conversation in uh, last week where he's telling Bob, I'm going to go do some breaking and entering. <laughs> just, just the flippant way he just describes going through these processes. And then mm-hmm. my quote of the week was, believe it or not, my first instinct isn't always to set things on fire. That was the one. I love that. <laughs> Especially because of the name of this podcast. Exactly, exactly. It's fantastic. Oh, my goodness gracious. All right. Um, well, you've already touched on a couple, but you want to uh, streamline a crackpot theory of the week? I mean, my, I guess the biggest crackpot theory is just the girls and their half fae, half ogre. Okay. All right, all right. So You know, because, I mean, well, the, so, the girl so in the alley. Faye, I think, describes... All creatures of fairy, fairy capital okay, F. She then, yeah, she is. She is the specific type. Yeah, those people. Fay yeah. is like so. Wild, like ogres and dryads and all those are fay, but they're not she. Okay, so then she. Yeah, the winter she and the summer. The, the she. girl with the pretty green hair is is half she. The girl with the pond scum green hair, I think, is half ogre, just because of the things that have been put out to us. I don't know about the boys. One of them, the one with the high-pitched, squeaky voice, could be part fairy, like like tutu type of fairy. Oh, interesting. Um, and the other one, I don't know. I got nothing on him. All right. Jury's still out. So, yeah. <laughs> cool. There's my analysis of the four. So they would all be half, like what, uh, what's-her-face Maeve is trying to get out of Harry. Okay. So I don't know how they, re- how they interact with Rule. No idea. Awesome. But yeah. Oh, some, some really good stuff there, Liz. I like it. Yeah, I think that's all I got. It was a good bunch of stuff. It was a good couple of chapters. Oh, yeah. No, it's like I said, I, mean, I just really liked how well it progressed coming off of a couple, a couple chunks that just I didn't love. And like you kind of called mm-hmm. me on it that like, oh, you say that about every book. I mean, well, I, mean I, <laughs> I really do like them all. You know, if I didn't like... You want to drag me into this? Exactly. You know, that's kind of the whole point here. But definitely some, you know, some chunks are better than others, like anything else, obviously. But I, uh, I really liked, it picked up really, really nicely, I felt. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I really, I really like this chunk a lot. I feel like it I did kind of was, feels like it's a springboard and there's some really good stuff that might be coming up. Can't wait. Right. Short of that. Uh, make sure you're giving us reviews on Apple and Spotify and Podify and Super Podcast, 
reader number one. <laughs> um, yeah. Anything you can do just to, uh, yeah, just, I mean, let us know. We love knowing what we can do better. And we love knowing that, yeah, Lissy reads really good. Yeah. Lissy's great. <laughs> um, all go Lissy. <laughs> but, um, no, we just appreciate you guys, um, existing and interacting and, and nothing could be cooler. So thank you guys so much. Um, hopefully we have a wonderful time. I'm going up to, uh, San Jose this weekend. I'm going to try to grind out this editing as quickly as I can. Hopefully we're, uh, we get it done in time. We will. Cause we have to, um, there may be a universe where it comes out on Monday. Not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, no, thank you guys so much. Loving the interactions, loving. I even like when people tell us to do what we can do better because getting better stuff is great. But oh, you can tell Josh he's good too. It's not just an Alyssa podcast. Um, <laughs> we love Josh. It is the Alyssa podcast. Let's be honest. Um, <laughs> I kid, but no, life is good. The podcast was on fire at gmail.com. The pod was on fire at Twitter. 13 star designs. Get those dick marks out. Um, it's our grandma's <laughs> legacy. She came over on the boat with nothing but a dick mark in her pocket. Oh, goodness. 13 Star Designs. The podcast was on fire uh, at all the things. And um, thank you guys so much. We'll catch you next week. I have been Josh. And I'm Alyssa. With the podcast was on fire. And it wasn't my fault. Hey, I'm going to go grab the food just got okay. here. I'm going to go grab it and, and make you get it to mom. If you want to pause or you want to keep going, I don't know. Yeah. Um, also, I'll pause so that we can jump in make, and I'm not just reading. Yeah, make, make a note where we're at. I just don't want to sit outside for too long. Okay. Why don't you stop the recording?